And now for something completely different. <laughs> for you, sir. Enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. <clears throat> you want me to bring the show in, or you want to bring it in? Don't matter to me. Don't matter. All right, I'll go ahead and bring it in. <clears throat> Let me take a drink here, real quick. What time are you good till? Uh, till I till I start to fall asleep. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. My name is Scott Gardner and joining me as always is my very, 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 very good friend. Um, which one is? Oh, Paul Spataro. <laughs> and here I was just getting all, all touched with the fact that I got like a six very. But you, you managed to stab me through the heart. <laughs> And here I thought we were friends. Oh, we are. We are. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing all right as well. You know, for a, for a guy that sits on his ass pretty much all week long lately, I'm I'm doing okay, you know? Well, that's just, you know. sucking air. When I'm, when I'm working, I'm sitting on my ass all week long. <laughs> <laughs> so. so this this isn't that much of a change. But you know, you know, we we're still, uh, you know, still adjusting to the new house and getting ready for all the big plans coming up and everything. So, I've been a busy, busy guy, and I haven't had a chance well, to I... do as much comic book shopping as I'd like, as I was talking to you about earlier. <laughs> I've been picking up your slack because I've been a comics buying goddamn fool lately. So. Uh... Yeah, I, as a matter of fact, I uh, just came from the comic shop here a little bit before uh, before we got started. So, well, it's nice uh, to know that somebody's I, getting it done. <laughs> I uh, I had some luck today too. It's it's funny because I I don't know, just kind of out of the blue, I was uh, well. I, I guess what really inspired it is uh, there was a comic shop here locally. Uh, it was a couple weeks ago, two or three weekends ago, and. Uh, 
it, it was took place at something called the fairgrounds, which I, I don't know what fair they're talking about. I've never seen a fair there before. It's usually like one of those really scary uh, uh, open air flea market type of things that, that look like a third world country type of thing. It, and I went to that one, one or two times and it was just you know, kind of off putting. But that's where they had uh, this event that I went to. And uh, I don't know who sponsored it or what. It was it was uh, a number of comics retailers from the Orlando and surrounding areas uh, were represented there. But damn, it was a really good show. I forget what the cover was on it. I want to say it was like seven or eight bucks, which wasn't too bad. I thought, um, you know, parking was free and all that, which was a big consideration. Um, but I, man, I cleaned up. I mean, they had a, a lot of comics there, a lot of vendors there. And a lot, I mean, a lot of 50 cent bins, which 50 cent bins, at least around here, are becoming kind of scarce. Uh, and everybody's gone to a dollar. Some places have gone to two dollars for the cheap stuff. Um, so the chance to go and, and dig through 50 cent bins and then the fact that uh, it wasn't all just junk. I mean, there's some really quality stuff in the 50 cent bins. Uh, you know, it was just a thrill. And. So I, I, I limited myself to a um, dollar per book. I don't I'm trying to remember if I if I went and I bought any premium books. I don't I think I looked at some premium books, but I don't think I actually purchased any. I think everything I got at that show uh, was uh, was a dollar or less. But uh, I did really, really well at that show. But again, that, this was a couple of weeks ago. Well, I've been itching ever since to you know, to do some more bin diving. So I've been keeping an eye on like local shows and, and stuff like that. And there hasn't been anything popping up that's terribly local, but there's a show coming up um, this coming weekend in Ocala, which for me is a little, it's just a hair over an hour away. And I was kind of debating whether I really wanted to go, but you know, for something like that, you know, where it's a drive and all, I'd, I'd so much rather go with a buddy, you know, and have a wingman to go. So I was trying to convince Dr. Bill to go, um, and I, I don't know, it just doesn't sound like he's all that terribly interested or what. And I know he's got a lot of stuff going on right now and all, and it kind of sounds like he's trying to move away from from back issues, at least for the time being. So I don't know that I'm actually going to end up going to that show. So it kind of had me just kind of bummed. I was like, damn, I really just I, I just feel like digging through some boxes. I got to thinking that there was a, uh, a Coliseum of Comics um, in a mall near us that uh, still had 50 cent bins, which is surprising because all the other Coliseums in the area, most of them have gone to two dollar boxes being their cheap boxes. So the fact that this place uh, it you know still has uh, you know comics in the cheap bins below a dollar, you know is you know pretty cool. But then you know that they're still fifty cents is just amazing. So I was like, let me go back and dig at that place because the last time I was there, I you know I had some you know found some really cool stuff. So I threw their address into Waze and drove out there. But as I was pulling in, I realized, wait a minute, where the hell did this thing send me? This isn't the right place. Well, I didn't know that they moved. So they're actually out of the mall now and they have their own uh, retail space and like a strip mall type of thing. And uh, it was really nice. They, they had just, according to the, the clerk there, uh, the lady that rang me out, she said they'd only been there like a month. Uh, it's a bigger 
location. It's it's more spacious and more airy and everything like that. And they still got the 50 cent bins. So I uh, sat and dug through 50 cent bins for like my entire afternoon today and uh, and did pretty good. I got some really cool stuff. So, yeah. So I've been picking up your slack anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. You could just drop off the books whenever you feel like. <laughs> Yeah, fifty cent bins are uh, tough to come by. Uh, I'm, I've mostly given up on finding such things. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I find stuff. There's, there's actually in one of the stores I go to, they actually have some books that are a quarter, and yeah, you're not likely to find too much in there. But every once in a while, you find a little, you know, hidden gem at the quarter price at least. Uh, and usually, it's, it's like. Almost a better book, but it's whipped to shit. And it's like, I, right. I'll take that. For a quarter, I'll take it. You know? That's how I was today. Was, uh, you know, just to brag. Now, the, you know, here's the thing that, that I enjoy about going and finding a really good cheap bin. You know, and, I, and by cheap bin, for me, I'm talking, again, you know, 50 cents or thereabouts. You know, at that price, I can afford to, to experiment a little bit. I can afford to go gee, that just looks interesting and buy it like the old days. You know, we've, we've talked about this before, you know, we've lamented, you know, how it used to be back in the old days when comics were relatively inexpensive, you didn't feel so bad occasionally, you know, risking, you know, whatever, a quarter or whatever on, on some title. And maybe it didn't turn out to be the greatest thing in the world, but you didn't spend a lot of money on it as opposed to now. Somebody told me the other day comics are up to oh, is it like six bucks or something. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, crazy. that to me, that's a serious investment. There are there are 50 year old comics that I need in my collection that I won't risk six dollars on. There's know? a lot of books so, I wouldn't spend six dollars on. Yeah, that's, it's, it's crazy. But out of the 50 cent bin today, and again, you talk about whipped to shit. Yeah, these are the very textbook definition of it. But these were 50 cents. Green Lantern number 11. This is 1962. Um, Green Lantern number 50, which is 1967. They're beat to hell, but they're complete. I did look through them. You know, they're not in bags or anything, so I was able to thumb through them to make sure there weren't any missing pages or missing panels or anything. Really what it comes down to is the covers, which they do have, both front and back covers. The covers are just completely friggin' whipped, but they're complete. And I'm like, as long as they're complete, I'm taking them home with me. So 50 cents. Mm -hmm. uh, a giant Jimmy Olsen. Uh, I don't even know which number this is. 140. Uh, again, 50 cents, you know, stuff like that. You know, I'll, I'll risk 50 cents on, you know, and I also, I've been picking up a lot of, um, a lot of variant cover stuff, which I know variant cover is, is kind of a dirty word. These, I know Bill would be giving me all kinds of shit if he was here to hear this right now, because he's, he's been down on the whole variant cover thing. Yeah. That's, but, that's, that's, that's you know, like getting a CGC, that really, uh, <laughs> yeah. <rated. laughs> Yeah, well, no, I will never do that. I That whole thing, yeah, that's a whole different conversation. But, you know, if it's a series that I really like or whatever, I mean, I won't go out of my way to collect the uh, the variant covers. But if they fall on my lap for, you know, 50 cents, yeah, I'll pick them up. So, yeah. I you know what, I, I don't mind do. having but, a variant cover. I don't mind having a book with a variant cover, but I really don't want 
three copies of the same book with three different covers on it. That doesn't really do, you know, it doesn't do anything for me. It just takes up more space. Well, I just want to pick the cover I yeah, like the best and get that one. That's very true. I, I won't do it very much because I just, well, as I was telling you before we got started, I've, I've kind of become addicted to the, the CLZ app. I finally gave in and, uh, and got it. And uh, I've, I've come to really like it. I, I like it a lot just, you know, for the cataloging aspect of it and everything. But uh, uh, as I was cataloging my, uh, my whole collection, you know, uh, inventorying everything, um, you know, it was a chance to actually sit down and, and put a hand on every single book again, which, you know, which is something I haven't done in a long, long time, you know. Mm-hmm. But I went through, I, I completely cataloged. But as I did it, um, I did another culling project much harsher than the last one that I did that really, I mean, I really did that. I, I forget who the guy or the, the person is the, the there's, there's some new fad thing that's out there. Now you, you've probably heard of this, this, this idea of, you know, trying to downsize and declutter your life by holding something that you own in your hand and, and, taking a moment to go, does, does this do anything for me? Does this bring me any joy? You know, is, is this something I need? And I, and I, you know, I didn't literally stop with every single book, but you know what I mean? The idea was. Not know, only would I say yes to every at, one of them, but I'd have a tear in my eye <laughs> at the concept <laughs> of getting rid of them. Well, the, I don't know that I, I don't know that there was necessarily anything that was a serious deep cut because a lot of that stuff I, I've already gotten rid of. Um, but but I did do it. I, I think I did a much harsher call this time because the idea this time was, you know, the first time I did it was the idea of let's just make some space. Let's just declutter a little bit. This time it was, okay, dude, all of this shit needs to fit into the existing boxes you have. You are not buying any more comic boxes. All this stuff at the end of this project has to be in a box. So that was the idea. So I had to, in order to keep the new stuff I've just acquired, I had to find enough of the old stuff that needs a new home to, to you know, to replace it, basically. Um, I did pretty good. I wound up at the end of it. I have about a quarter of a box of stuff that's still homeless that, you know, so when I got to Z, basically, I still had shit left over. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but I did pretty good, but I, I really did. I called a ton of stuff. So for anybody listening, that's wondering, okay, well, where is all this stuff? Well, my next project is to now inventory all the stuff that I intend to get the hell out of my house uh, into this CLZ app. And when that project is done, um, if I can figure out how to do it, uh, I will be posting a link or whatever the hell I have to do so to where people can go and look at this massive list of all the shit that I've got that I want to get rid of. And they can, you know, wheel and deal with me, you know, sell, trade, whatever. You know, I just I just need to get rid of things. So that's the idea behind it. But I, I've been having fun with it. It's it's just neat to, you know, to really, you know, to really thoroughly go through your collection when you haven't done it in a while. And I, I haven't. I've become so dependent on digitally reading my books that I don't physically handle them all that much anymore. 
And so it was kind of fun to do that and, and rediscover some things I'd kind of forgotten about, especially, uh, you know, the books that I have that I've gotten signed, uh, you know, by some of the creators that have worked on there's I was amazed uh, when I discovered that feature in the CLZ and I started putting those in there. I was amazed by how many signed books I actually do have a, a hell of a lot more than I ever realized I had. So that, that's pretty cool. That tells me I've been pretty blessed as a collector to get to, to meet some of these cool people that you know actually make the books. So anyway, I'm rambling. We, we, we had a point to tonight's show, which was, uh, we, we had a point. Originally we were going to cover. I'm sorry. So we had a point. I forgot. <laughs> Well, we were going to cover a couple of books, but uh, we decided that we we may just go ahead and hold on to these books for another time because we have noticed that our uh, Back to the Bins mailbag is uh, bulging and swelling and uh, and ready to burst open. We have a lot of stuff to address here, so we're just going to dig in and, uh, and cover some of our feedback. We're going to make a feedback episode out of this. So I've got the first one here, unless you had anything else, Paul. Uh you know, I, I just like the, just the thought that was occurring to me while you were talking about that was I don't have that many books that are signed by people for whatever reason. It has never been I, like I've even seen when you and I have gone to shows together. You've been more focused on that than I have. Um, I have I have, you know, books that are signed by uh, John Romita. I have books that are signed by Jack Kirby. I have more recently gotten books signed by Rich Buckler before he passed. Uh, and I don't have a hell of a lot of other books that are signed, but you know, but it, it is cool that you got those. So I, you know, it's, it's, I, I go back and forth on it. It's like, oh, did I waste all this time not getting books signed? Oh, and I, oh, I have books signed by Stan Lee, by the way, I'm going to add that to that, to that list. <laughs> But, Just having know. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby both, that, that's pretty amazing to me. I mean, I don't think you suffer from the, the debilitating memory loss that I do. That's mostly why I do it, so that I have something tangible that I can look at, and, you know, like I'm doing now, and go, oh, shit, that's right. I met so-and-so back in, you know, 1989 or whatever that I may have forgotten that I did because there were a couple that I found that I, I I had literally forgotten that I ever got this book signed or that I even met this person. So that's why I did it. Um, well, interestingly, I, 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 I had forgotten because I had gotten Jack Kirby's autograph on a book by mailing it to him and having him sign it and mail it back to me. And, you know, I, I provided a postage uh, you know, an envelope with postage on it to send it back. But I didn't remember until my cousin reminded me that we did meet Jack Kirby at a Comic-Con in New York, you know, back in the 70s. I had no me no memory of it whatsoever. So, yeah, hmm. I do I do suffer from that debilitating memory loss. I remembered meeting, <laughs> you know, a lot of the other creators that we've met over the years. But for some reason, Jack Kirby escaped me. And, and the thing about that one... That, that brought back a flood of memories, and I remember back in that same show, they had a bunch of original art pages by Kirby for like 20 bucks. And I was stupid enough to not buy any, because now they're worth thousands. Can you imagine? But at the time, I thought, well, I could spend yes. 20 bucks and buy this one page, or I can go and buy, you know, whatever, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten comics you know, older books. 
So it was like, well, you know, I've just, I, I just had the scales going. Well, I, I want to get, you know, all these books, which I would have been better off just walking away with five, you know, spend a hundred bucks and buy five pages. Uh, would have, you know, at some point I would have had a down payment on a house with it. But hey, life goes on and you learn. <laughs> there was a post somewhere, Facebook or something recently that I saw uh, where somebody posted, I don't know, I, I want to say it was a page out of an old Overstreet guide or, or it was either an old Overstreet guide or it was out of uh, like an old advert, like an early advertisement for buying comics. Um, but it was it was old enough that like early issues of action. I remember like there was an action number one listed where it was only like a couple hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And there was an action number one that just sold at auction uh, very recently. It was three and a half million dollars is oh, what it's now God. up to. It's, it's at the new world record. And it's just it's crazy to think that, you know, it has jumped that much to where. You know, there was a time, you know, in theory anyway, that, you know, we could have owned some really primo books that now, you know, there's there's no way you're ever putting a hand to that book, you know. Well, it's just crazy. That was when, when I had Jeff Vaughn on the show and he, you know, he works with Overstreet and all of that. And he had sent me some uh, some some he had sent me some goodies, which included a reproduction of the first Overstreet price guide. And at the time we were talking, he said, you know, turn to Action Comics number one. And it was like. I don't know, maybe it was worth like $1,000 or something like that. It's like, oh, my God. I don't even think it was that. I think it was a few hundred. But it was just like, you know, I could have owned it if I had been smart enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I wonder sometimes about some of the comics that, you know, that were within my grasp at one time that I I let go because thinking – Oh, that's just too much money to spend on a comic book, whereas today they're worth, you know, a hundred times what I could have gotten them for. Because I know uh, Walt, the old man that uh, Honeywell and I used to buy our comics from, that guy, he had a, I mean, that was the bulk of his collection uh, that, that, you know, he truly coveted for himself was Golden Age stuff. I know he had a lot of, like, Golden Age uh, Captain Marvel stuff, and, and, I mean, that stuff's worth a fortune today. It was worth a lot then, but I, I think it was a little more uh, realistically attainable, whereas today, I mean, you, you can't touch that stuff, you know, unless yeah. you're seriously, seriously loaded, unless you got a hell of a lot more money than I've got. Well, that's, that's my lament of my collecting focus as a, as, as a kid. You know, my, my focus then was to fill as many holes in my collection as I could instead of trying to get the best books I could. Right. So, you yeah. know, if, if yeah. I could, yeah. if, if I had a choice to buy, you know, amazing fantasy number 15 or fill a hundred books in my collection that I needed, I would go for the hundred books. And, you know, looking back, that was not the right choice. <laughs> I did the same thing though. I suspect a lot of us did. Yeah. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Let's read some mail. (laughs) All right. So our first one up here is uh, simply entitled Logan's Run Number 2. It says, hello again, Binzers. Just listen to the second episode of the Logan's Run series, and let me tell you, this is definitely a ride. I have never been a person who got any comics that weren't superhero comics, with the exception of several comics 
that Marvel did when Stephen King was finishing up the Dark Tower series, and he decided to do these. But I am thinking about looking for this series on eBay or possibly Amazon to read on the Kindle. Cool. Uh, I am especially interested in how much additional story the comics give you that you didn't get in the movie. It makes a good movie even uh, make even more sense when things are fleshed out in comics. Can't wait to listen to the next episode and may actually be able to read along with you guys. Not quite your number one fan, since I haven't written as much as others, but definitely a fan of the show. And that's from Dan Teets. Uh, he is the co-host of Be Kind Rewind, the Disney movie podcast. And I love the name of that that podcast, Be Kind Rewind, because that's a callback to Blockbuster. And uh, Blockbuster holds a, a very special place in this family. It's where my wife and I met uh, working for Blockbuster. And Dan's a heck of a nice guy. I've actually been a guest on their show. I was a guest on there. Oh, this was some months ago now. I was a guest on there. We talked about the movie Splash, um, the first Touchstone uh, movie that uh, that Disney did with Tom Hanks. And I'm going to be on there again here sometime soon. We haven't recorded it yet. We haven't set a date yet, but I'm going to be on there again sometime soon. We're going to take a look at uh, the uh, People and Places movie called Disneyland USA, which is a personal favorite of mine. So, yeah, Dan's a good guy. Yeah, I've had some interaction with Dan and uh, definitely strikes me as a good guy. And uh, if, if you've been enjoying the Logan's Run retrospective, don't fear. We will get through. Them. <laughs> it's just there's been a yes. there's been a lag, but we will get through them. There is one serious reason why uh, the episodes have been so spaced out with Logan's Run, and that is because I am a lazy shit that just needs to sit down and get them edited. Um, they are all recorded. They just need to get edited, and uh, I am going to make, I promise, I'm going to make that a focus here in the very near future to get those uh, processed and out there on the air so you guys can enjoy them, because we had a heck of a lot of fun uh you know, doing all the research and rereads and recording and everything. And uh, I feel really badly that they've been much more spaced out than I ever intended them to be, you know, time between episodes. So, uh, yes, I will make that a priority and get those done. Well, moving on to our next email, it's from Stephen Dunn, uh, and it's uh, entitled Rich Buckler Feedback. Hello, guys. Just listen to the latest show. What a treat hearing my email read out. You asked if I was a new listener. I'm a recent convert to Back to the Bins, but I'm familiar with Scott from his Tales of the JSA podcast. Interestingly, that's how I became friends with Scott. <laughs> and he was nice <laughs> enough to send me a certain Batman image a few months back that referenced the famous cover of Superman versus Batman versus Muhammad Ali. Excuse me. <laughs> I guess that's a faux pas. Uh, or what is that, Freudian slip of some sort? I was amazed to hear you say that some people criticize Rich Buckler's art. How is such a thing possible? Surely one one look at the cover of All-Star Squadron number 36, Captain Marvel, as he was then beating the granny out of Superman, would lead any sensible person to put Buckler on the Mount Rushmore of comic book artists. Keep up the great work, guys. Yours sincerely, Stephen Dunn. P.S. Knowing Scott is a JSA fan, I wondered if, he, if he'd ever seen the attached comic cover. In the U.K. about 40 years ago, Superhero, Superheroes Monthly ran for, I think, 18 or 19 issues. Each featured three random DC stories in black and white, but the covers were always beautiful. 
This is the cover from the issue that featured the origin of the JSA. And I have downloaded that cover, and I'm going to stick it in our chat. And if I remember, what? Uh, Scott? No, go ahead. If, if you remember what? I was going to say, if I remember, I'll put it in the uh, Back to the Bins page when this episode airs. <laughs> So I was reading along with you on the email. Um, Steve, I have never seen this cover before. It is gorgeous. And uh, I have just a couple of issues of uh, the Superheroes Monthly. I want to say our good friend Andy Leyland got them for me, I think. I think that's how they fell in my lap. Um, but I, I only have a couple of them. But these are on my radar as something I would like to own purely for those gorgeous, gorgeous covers. Um, they're just stunning. Um, the material that's in them, you know, to my, to my knowledge anyway, is all reprints. Um, and the issues I've gotten so far, I already had all the stuff that was uh, reprinted in them. But again, I mean, they're, they're worth it just for the covers. And this one here, like I said, I'd never seen it before, but wow, this, this cover is amazing. That is really, really cool. Um, I'm assuming that that's reprinting the DC special by um, Joe Staten and, uh, and Bob Layton. Um, I had a chance to, to meet Bob Layton some years ago and got him to sign that book. I'd love to track this down. And if I ever get to meet him again, have him sign this. Because I'm, I'm wondering if this is as rare for him as, as it is for the rest of us. This is this is really beautiful. I don't know who – I mean, it's not a latent cover. But uh, but if it's reprinting that story, then the interior art would be latent. But, yeah, this – wow, that is, that is a really cool cover, a really – uh, dynamic image of Superman and Batman and the, and the justice society behind them. That's, I, I, that's great. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. That's really and cool. And then just, just in case we forget to, uh, and by we, I mean me, if I forget to post it, uh, it is the superheroes monthly volume two, number six. So you probably could find it just doing a Google search. It has 1940 at the bottom in stars and stripes. And then it's got Superman flying in the front. Batman is, kind of next to him standing on the 19 part of the 1940 and then we have the rest of the JSA behind them uh with a kind of ethereal looking uh specter which I kind of like you know he's he's kind of blurry where everybody else is really clear yeah i think that that's that's cool effect and then he is he is he holding the uh the staff is that what he has i can't tell oh you know what let me blow it back up again you know, what? I bet you that is what it, that probably is. Although it's weird because it's it's all twisted and, and stuff like a like it's yeah. I don't know. It's almost. it's hard to see. Sure. Yeah, but it's, it is a beautiful color. Yeah. It is. It's really cool. Yeah, I've I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of the covers to this series, and I, I don't think there's one of them that I didn't like. They all have that painter. You know, they're they're all painted and. Uh, just have that like poster quality to them. They're they're really cool, very dynamic. I mean, very eye catching. Yeah, there's some really neat ones. There's a bunch of them. I'm looking right now on mycomicshop.com, and there's a bunch of them listed here. And uh, yeah, I, I want to own the whole set just for the covers. The covers are great. It'd be it'd be cool just to put up like a like a gallery of uh, of these, you know, in your comic room, just you know, just for the artwork that's on them. Agreed. Yeah, I'm gonna have to start 
keeping a, a better eye out for these because the this is that is a, a collection I would like to own all of. They do have that issue, the, the one we were just talking about listed, but they don't have it in stock, so I don't know what they would what they would ask for it. I'd be curious no to find idea. out though. I, I back in the day, I remember the uh, you know the English reprint issues were fairly cheap. Uh, you know, because they were reprints. But I think now they might have developed a, a kind of a niche market that, uh, you know, might bump up the price quite a bit, just just based on the covers and, you know, in the format. I know that the uh, the Star Wars, the Marvel Star Wars, the uh, UK stuff, uh, that has gotten a bump here in recent times. I'm not sure exactly why. I think just because more people have become aware of it, um, I don't know where he is in the process, but I know that our, our buddy Scott Rifen was actively collecting those. I am too, but it's for me it's much looser. It's just it's more of a when they fall in my lap situation. I'm not actively seeking them out, um, but that is something I would love to own a complete set of, just because um, you know the format is different. You know it's unique to us as Americans because you know, we're used to comics, you know, American comic style, and and these are much more like magazine style. They're yeah. kind of like imagine like the old uh, Marvel black and white magazines. Um, they're kind of like that, but just real thin. You know that because they were weekly, um, there you know there wasn't a high page count to them. I, I'm not sure how many pages there are. I want to say like maybe like twelve at most, something like that. They were really thin. Um, and almost had like a newspaper quality to, you know, to the feel of them because they were much more floppy than a standard uh, comic. Um, but they were more magazine sized and being in that oversized and then in black and white, um, there's something about the art that was just, it, it somehow a lot of the art looked cooler to me in, in that aspect. And then again, because it was weekly as opposed to star Wars here in the States being monthly, then they had to create new covers uh, for the series to, to fill in the weak gaps. So while they did use the same covers uh, that were used in the American version of Star Wars, there were more covers because there were more issues. So there's a lot of covers that we here in the States, you know, artwork that we never got to see because it was unique to the UK market. And I like that kind of thing. You know, it's really neat. If you, if you ever saw the cover to um, Star Wars 108, that one that just came out, what was that, a year or so ago, um, you know, it was just kind of like a commemorative issue, picking up the old numbering and, and kind of doing like an homage type of story. That cover that was on, well, there were multiple covers to that actually, but the, the one that was the Carmine Infantino cover of, um, of, uh, Valance the cyborg with Darth Vader behind him. That was actually uh, originally a cover to one of the Marvel UK issues. They just cleaned it up and touched it up and, and reused it for Star Wars 108 because, again, the American market had never seen it before. Hmm. That's interesting. I had I had no idea about that. So, are we ready for the next one? Sure. All right, so our next email is entitled Back to the Bins, number 443, Doom 2099, and Super Soldier number one. 
says, greetings, Benzers. Another show that brought me back with some nostalgia. I was not into Marvel Comics when Doom 2099 was released, so that comic completely passed me by. But being a Superman fan during this time, I have the feeling that I bought Super Soldier when it first came out. I know for a fact that I have the DC versus Marvel in one of my long boxes and have read it. Talk about a strange book. I never really understood why they were combined when the original premise, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that the person who won the fight lived on and the other ceased to exist. No, you're correct. That that was the premise. Um, the show definitely gave me some nostalgic vibes, and now I'm going to have to raid the 50-cent bins to see if I can come up with these two issues. Your fan, and again, this is uh, Dan Teets, co-host of the Be Kind Rewind, the Disney movie podcast. Um, I really liked that episode, although I feel like I was probably a little too harsh on Super Soldier. Um, I, I have nothing but nostalgic feelings for Doom 2099, so it was fun to, to be able to, to look back at that and cover it. And uh, I can't remember where our coverage was in my personal timeline of i'm trying to remember if that inspired me to go back and reread and finish doom 2099 or if i was already on that path when we recorded that episode but long story short i did finish the read through of doom 2099 and even the uh, really bad art issues yeah and it was it was a fun ride. It, it was a lot of fun you know the the part of the ride that was the most fun was the beginning of it with uh, where it was Pat Broderick doing the beautiful, beautiful art. And I was really happy to read recently. I forget where I read this um, somewhere with Pat Broderick, where um, he said that that was his favorite series of all the work he had done. That was his favorite was doom 2099. I was a little shocked to hear that because he's done some really amazing stuff. Um, but I was also very pleased because I, I hold that in very high regard. Um, I, I forget what issue the original writer left. There's clearly a tonal shift when he leaves. And that's kind of where that, that was kind of the beginning of the end of the book is when the original writer left. Um, then that other writer came in. I, I want to say Garth Ennis. I always get him confused with another one. That's got something Ellis or Ennis or something like that in the name. I, I always get him confused. So I might be th thinking of the wrong person, but anyway, the, the tone shifted, it became much more political. Um, and then, like you say, at the very end of doom 2099, the art was just atrocious. Um, and that, that killed the book, but it was interesting. Um, I, I was very thorough because I didn't just read doom 2099. I basically read anything uh, in the 2099 universe, uh, you know, the original 2099 universe um, that had anything to do with Doom. You know, if he had a cameo or if he got a mention or if it was part of his overall story arc, because at one point he took over the, the United States. He became the president of the U.S. And so that whole arc, um, I think it was called One One Nation Under Doom, I think is what it was called had a lot of crossovers into all the other 2099 books like Ravage and Punisher and Spider-Man. And some of them were really good and really interesting. And then others, not so much, but it was, it was fun because I always enjoyed doom 2099 proper, but I also, I always, I've always wondered what happened exactly with, with 2099 because once 
uh, once I lost my interest in that book initially as it was coming out, I, I kind of like when I walked away, I walked away completely. So I never knew how the world resolved or how the story I, I, I figured it all just got canceled. I didn't know that there was kind of there kind of sort of was a definitive end to 2099. And I never realized that before, because eventually we would see those characters touched on again. And I can remember like, for example, um, Spider-Man 2099 was in exiles for a while. And um, there was a, a crossover event it was time storm or something that was a 2099 crossover. So, I mean, those, those characters or what I thought were those characters were touched on again and, and used in other places. But from what I've read of that and what research I've done, they're not exactly the same characters because the original universe of 2099, it ended. It, it had a definitive end to it. So anything you're seeing since then using those names, they're not technically the exact same character. They're basically like alternate universe versions of the 2099 characters, which themselves were already alternate universe characters. Really? So it gets really confusing after a while, but it, it was still interesting though. Yeah. I, I, I never got totally into the 2099 thing. I, I, you know, there were moments where I kind of dipped my toe in and felt like I wanted to, and then just kind of like fell by the wayside. Some of it is, is really worth it. You know, the, like I say, the, the, I would say, I would highly recommend all of the Pat Broderick illustrated issues of doom 2099, that, that entire run where he's the artist I feel like is totally worth the the investment because it's gorgeous. The stories are really good. It's very interesting. Um, but beyond that point, once once he leaves, it it very quickly becomes diminishing returns. And the the overall problem with it, I feel like, is that I think they started out with a vision, but the vision quickly became cloudy. And by the end of it, I don't think they, I think they were just writing shit to write shit. I don't think there, there really was a definitive uh, plan anymore. And I think that is very evidenced by the very last 2099 proper universe book um, was a book called 2099. Oh, shit, now I'm going to blank because it's on my want list. I should be able to remember the name of this book, and I'm blanking on the name of it at the moment. Um, shit, I can't remember. I'll think of it eventually, but it's a uh, it's a very simple cover. It's just a white cover with the in pink. It has the words 2099 and whatever the other word on the cover is. I can't think of the name of it. It was a one-shot book that basically wrapped up the entire story. Well, the problem is in that story, there's a moment where it shows the heroes and they're doing something or other. And one of the heroes in one of the shots uh, near the conclusion of the book is Punisher 2099. Well, he died. <laughs> he died very dramatically um, toward the the end of. Uh, the individual issues. So basically what happened is, you know, you started out, you had all these titles in, in the 2099 thing, 
And then they expanded and they added more characters because it got really popular. So they started really simply with like Doom, Spider-Man and a couple other books. And then they expanded and then they expanded and then they expanded. And then all of a sudden, kind of like DC back in the 70s, all of a sudden they had an implosion as something happened. And honestly, what I think happened was um, because the quality was shit that readers started to, to ditch the books. And so then all of a sudden this huge expansion became an implosion and it started, you know, they dwindled and they dwindled and they dwindled and it dwindled down so far that eventually they consolidated what few titles remained like Spider-Man um, into one title. And that one title ran for a time and then that petered out and then they had like little, one shots and, and things like that. But eventually at the very end, there was just one last book that was a one shot that kind of concluded all this. It wrapped everything up. Um, but like I say, that that one book that wrapped everything up, even that screwed up the continuity because it included a character that we'd already seen die, which was Punisher 2099. So, yeah, they clearly didn't have all their all their shit together uh, with that whole thing, which was a shame because it started out, you know, started out big, but well, it's kind of, kind of what it they was... did with, with the ultimate universe where, you know, they, they started it out and it became a little popular with spider ultimate Spider-Man. And then all of a sudden they did ultimate X-Men, ultimate fantastic four, the ultimates. And it, it started to get, you yeah. know, yeah, I, I think, in in some events, and I don't think Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, really did this, but in some of the other books, I think they got edgy for edgy's sake. You know, you know, hey, look at us, yeah. we can do things that uh, you know, that, that you previously couldn't see in comics, and that's fine if it's organic and it's creative. But you know, when it's just kind of pushing it, uh, you know, where, where the goal is to push the envelope, it doesn't really do anything for me then. And I, and I feel like that's kind of what we got with those. And then eventually they did away with it. And then they merged the, uh, what's his name, Miles uh, Morales, Morales. Spider-Man yeah. in, into the normal, you know, universe so that they could just do away with the uh, ultimate universe altogether. I think, did, did Galactus eat that planet? I think that may have been what they did. I don't remember for sure. I, I wasn't too on yeah, top I... of it by the end. Yeah, I've never I've never read that. It's funny because the one I what I thought you were going to say was and you're not wrong. You're absolutely right. But what I thought you were going to say was uh, was new universe because that had that the same exact story with that, too. So mm. that's that's funny. And I think to a certain degree, I think that's where um, the uh, M2 universe went um with the exception of Spider-Girl. Spider-Girl, she she had lot, you know, she had legs. She she ran a long long time and had multiple titles. But she was kind of the last holdout for that universe and I'm not sure how that universe all wrapped up either. I, I actually don't want to know on that one because I um I have been actively collecting um Spider-Girl and I've got almost a complete collection that I intend to sit down and read one of these days. So I want to discover it myself. I, I don't want to know going into it how, you know, how the universe ends or whatever. If it does, I don't even know if it does. Manifest Destiny. That was the name of that. 1999 Manifest Destiny. That was the, that was the name of that one shot. Yeah. I could not think of it, but yeah, it was a, it was a one shot that wrapped the whole thing up. Well, sticking with the 2099 theme, 
Our next email is entitled Doom 2099, and it's from friend of the show, Socrates Alvarez. And it's, you know, we hadn't heard from Socrates for a little while, so it's good to know he's still listening. Uh, he's always been, uh, let's just say, very nice to us. Uh, good afternoon, back to the bins. I enjoyed the review of Doom 2099, number one. I remember trading Marvel cards for this comic book, excuse me, for this comic back in the 90s. I must have read this issue a hundred times over as a kid. I was only able to find early issues back then. Last year I reread number one, loved it, and started to collect the Doom 2099 series. I need three comics to finish the series, but like Scott mentioned, some issues are a little hard to find due to low print runs. I'm trying to find the last three before Christmas. Shows you how old this email is. Uh, so I can read about Doom conquering future America over the holidays. Now to Amalgam. Unlike you guys, I was at the perfect young age for DC versus Marvel and think it was the first miniseries I managed to collect every issue. I love the Access minis and all the uh, Amalgam one-shot tied... Excuse me. All the... <clears throat> and all the Amalgam one-shots tied to the event. I really liked Spider-Boy and Lobo the Duck. I think that I think the Super Soldier comic was a really fun story too. The art was great, which you guys mentioned, uh, is a rare is a rare of a Dave Gibbons comic. I'm glad he changed the style for this comic, or I probably or it would probably be a couple of grades lower. Keep up the great podcast. Best regards, Socrates S. Alvarez the Third. Thank you, Socrates. I appreciate your uh, your feedback on that. And like I said, we hadn't. Hadn't had any, uh, any any interaction with you for a little while, so I'm glad to know that you're still listening. He is uh, he's a really good guy. I've I've run into him a couple of times now at uh, at one of our local comic shops as he's uh, been in the area and uh, just the nicest guy. And uh, I, I always really enjoy uh, talking to him. And I know he listens because he tells me every time, "Yep, I'm still listening. I really enjoy the show." So <laughs> I'm glad he's out there. All right, next one here we've got is entitled Amalgamated, Back to the Bins, number 433, Pliers of the Time Stream. Hey, fellas, just finished listening to episode 433, uh, where you talked about Doom 2099, number one, and Super Soldier, number one. Your discussions of Amalgam stirred some thoughts that I thought I would share with you and the listeners. I passed on Marvel vs. DC when it was published and have still never read it. Similarly, I passed on all of Amalgam, although I must admit that the concept of a series of uh, one-off mashups at least made me smile. I will say that while you all seem to land on the cash grab side of the equation, in my opinion, Amalgam was much less guilty of that than a typical crossover tie-in. By the nature of these books, they do not play any role in the main series, so if you're reading Marvel vs. DC, there are no... Uh, air quotes up to the mic, air quotes up to the mic requirement. I see what he's saying. He's saying, you know, quote unquote requirement that you buy the amalgam books. Contrast this with pretty much any other crossover from Marvel or DC where the mantra is uh, you got to buy them all if you want the full story. Yeah, he's got a good point. So in this case, at least you could pick and choose or pass on the whole thing with no impact overall on the main series. That is a great point because that's exactly what I did back in the day. I bought 
the amalgams that appealed to me and the ones that didn't, and there were a lot of them, um, I completely passed on and, and have never owned to this day. So, yeah, that, that's a really good point. You didn't yeah, need I did, to I did own... what Marvel wanted us to do, or Marvel and DC wanted us to do, and I bought all of them. <laughs> but but you, know, but you didn't need to is, is I, I yeah, think, no, it's point. Correct, and, that, and I shouldn't yeah. have. Yeah. There's some of them yeah, I still haven't read to this day. I shouldn't have bought those. It's not like they have value. Uh, he says, there are two Amalgam books I want to highlight. The first is Challengers of the Fantastic, a mashup of the Fantastic Four and Challengers of the Unknown, a pitch-perfect combination of concepts, to be sure. Written by Carl Kessel. Ooh, that's got my interest. And with art by Tom Grummet and Al Vey. I find this one a real hoot, especially given the shared DNA between the two teams in a real-world sense. Uh, I would read a uh, I would read a FF or Challengers series uh, from this team in a heartbeat, and that's a hell of a team. Uh, I, I love all those guys you just mentioned: uh, Carl Kessel, Tom Grummet, Alva. Yeah, that's a great combo. So yeah, if I see that one around uh, again, I'm going to have to pick that up. The other book is Iron Lantern, a mashup of Iron Man and Green Lantern, written by Kurt Busiek uh, and penciled by Paul Smith with a host of inkers. This is a spot-on combination of Silver Age Iron Man and Green Lantern books. I covered this issue with the late, great Sean Engel on episode 105 of his Green Lantern podcast, Just One of the Guys. And we both enjoyed the heck out of it. We both agreed on that episode that we wish there was an issue, too. Hmm. Uh, oddly, both of these books uh, were from the second wave of Amalgam in 1997, and both were published by Marvel. Uh, anyway, I do agree that these uh, are certainly not crucial, but at the same time, if you come across them in the cheapy bin and the mashup sounds intriguing to you, give them a shot. There's at least some good stuff in there by my estimation. Thanks, and look forward to more back issue goodness. Uh, and yeah, I was wondering who this was. It's, it's Luke, our friend Luke Jacanetti, host of the Earth, Earth Destruction Directive, co-host The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, and co-host of Get Back to the Wrestling Podcast. Well, thank you, Luke. Uh, I was wondering a while back if uh, if you still listen to Bins. I'm glad to hear that uh, that you still do. So thank you very much for writing in. Yeah, I didn't cheat and look ahead to see who uh, who this was from, and the header didn't tell me. So I, I was curious who uh, who this was speaking here. So that's cool. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that uh, to that episode of uh, of Sean's show as well because I I can't remember if I heard that one or not. I'm sure I did, but I don't have a memory of it offhand. But I did regularly listen to Sean, so I'm sure I listened to it at yeah. some point. So the next email uh, is once again from Stephen Dunn, and it's titled Fantastic Four Number 166 T-Shirt. Hi, guys. I hope I'm not in danger of becoming the annoying listener who contacts the show too much, but I feel that after... Finally, listening to the latest episode when you discussed issue 166 of Fantastic Four, Scott mentioned how he'd love a t-shirt of that cover. About 10 years ago, uh, Asda was selling that very t-shirt over here in the UK, and as it was owned by Walmart at the time, I'm surprised they, they wasn't available on your side of the pond. It may have been, and we just didn't see it. It's very possible. So I did buy... So did I, did I buy... Excuse me. So did I buy it? You are probably wondering. 
I'm afraid I missed my chance. For some reason, the above image, for some reason, above the image was a single row of rhinestones, which initially put me off. Realizing a day or two later what an iconic cover it was that I could overlook the rhinestones, I returned to the store only to find that they'd sold out. Surprisingly, despite oh. the sales rush, I haven't seen anyone in my town wearing one in the decades since. My own favorite comic cover t-shirt is one I came across while looking for Squadron Supreme merchandise. The t-shirt is the cover of Avengers 148 with the Squadron replaced by their counterparts in the Justice League. To justify the delivery cost from America to the UK, I bought three so that my bronze-aged brainwashed boys could have dressed <laughs> like their old man. Enough rambling from me, other than to say it was a, another great show, and I can't wait for the next episode. Best wishes, Stephen Dunn. And then Stephen, uh, uh, next to the email, uh, the cover of Avengers 148, and then there's a picture of him and his two boys wearing the uh, the faux cover of 148, where it's actually the Justice League, uh, and that looks really cool. That is cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I've never seen. Steve. Yeah, that is cool. I had to look up 166 because I, I couldn't, you know, Fantastic Four 166 because I couldn't remember the cover. And yeah, that that is uh, that's that awesome Rich Buckler uh, cover thing, of thing the Hulk, FF yeah. attacking. Yeah, thing in Hulk. Yeah, that is beautiful. Ah, uh, yeah, that would make a really cool T-shirt. Um. Oh, the next one is uh, is short and sweet, but I really like this. Uh, yeah, you're getting off easy on this to, one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'll do the next one, too, if you like. No, no, don't uh, worry this about This one it. is from Sean Urbanski, and uh, it's just simply entitled Richard Jordan. And he says, he's great, meaning Richard Jordan. He's great in The Friends of Eddie Coyle, which I, I must admit I've never heard of. He says, Robert Mitchum and Peter Boyle in it as well. Great movie. Um, I've okay. heard of it, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, I mean, I have to, I have to hunt that up. I know in one of our uh, episodes of uh, of our Logan's Run coverage, uh, we, we took a moment to talk about Richard Jordan. So that, that must be an answer to that. But I, I like that. That's, that's really cool. So our next email is once again from Dan Teets and it is titled Marvel Classic Comics Gulliver's Travels <laughs> Greetings Bill, Scott and Paul. I totally got a kick out of listening to your coverage of Gulliver's Travels. I seem to remember Marvel doing something like this in the late 2010s when I was getting back into collecting because my LCS would invariably drop in issue number one uh, of several of them when I would drop in to pick up my comics once a month. I think they did Beowulf for sure because it was around that time that that atrocious CGI movie. So I'm not sure, excuse me, so I am not sure if it was a movie tie-in or what. The intro for the show with the character singing about rain, what was that from? It sounded like very early Daffy Duck before he got his characteristic voice. Well, that was, uh, that was Gabby from Gulliver's, the Gulliver's Travels cartoon from uh, Fleischer. So if you haven't seen that, yep. that's, that's what that was. I've been slowly working my way through 52 as I went through my comics about six months ago and put them in order for the first time in years. What are you guys reading currently? I collected for almost 10 years from 2006 to 2015, but got out of it because I couldn't handle spending 200 plus dollars on current stuff. 
because most of the comics are three, four, five, or more dollars each. Looking forward to listening to more classic comics. Dan Teets, host of Be, Be Kind Rewind. I, at this particular moment in time, don't have a particular reading project that I'm on. Uh, I'm kind of reading for the uh, show, and I've just been, as I said earlier, just been really busy lately, so I haven't had a lot of time to uh, to sit and read other than prepping for the show. What What's your reading project right now, Scott? Oh, my God, I've got so many of them going on all at the same time. So I was doing that big Marvel read through, as you know, um, and then I, you know, I would occasionally pepper in other projects. Uh, right at the moment, I was reading through um, volume three of The Outsiders, you know, DC's The Outsiders. And I don't even know which volume it is, but the, the Teen Titans um, that was coming out concurrently with The Outsiders. So those those two books were basically like sister books. Um, reading through those, I just finished the outsiders cause that ended at issue 50 and then it got basically rebooted as an, uh, as a new version of Batman and the outsiders. I don't think I'm going to go forward with that. Um, but I am continuing to, to read, um, teen Titans and there was a crossover in the outsiders with checkmate, uh, volume two, which for some reason, I, I think mostly just because I kept seeing the damn things in the 50 cent bin, um, I decided to collect Checkmate, both volumes one and two. Um, I now have complete collections of both of them. So when The Outsiders had the crossover, uh, I decided to read um, Checkmate, volume two. I haven't read volume one yet, but I read volume two. Because um, I wanted to know what was going on from their perspective in this crossover. So I, I read from the beginning up through the crossover. Um, not sure if I'm going to continue on with that series right at the moment because that just would detract from where I want to go with Teen Titans and everything else. So, But because I keep throwing so much stuff at my iPad all the time and keep running out of space for, for reading comics, what I decided to do... Um, is basically combine all of my reading projects by deciding I'm going to read strictly linear. Um, so I've gone all the way back to 1961 um, with the with the issue of Superboy, or excuse me, uh, Adventure Comics rather, uh, Adventure Comics that introduced the Phantom Zone. Um, and I'm going to read every Superman family title from that point forward. And then with my Marvel read through project, I was already up to like 1973 or four, something like that. So I don't have to read Marvel for a while. I can just read DC until I get to the seventies. And then I'm just going to go forward from that point. So I'm going to basically be reading Marvel and DC, just the titles I'm interested in, um, in chronological order um, from that point. But the reason I'm doing that Superman read is, for one, I own most of those books from um, from the about the mid-60s forward. Many of them I've never read. I've just never made the time. But I, even though I haven't released an episode in forever in a day i'm still interested in doing that phantom zone project that i was working on on my superman show 
but I have discovered that there are Phantom Zone stories that I missed despite all of the intensive research that I did on the subject. There were still stories that I found that did have the Phantom Zone in them that never came up on any research that I did because I, I, I if there is a definitive list out there, I've never been able to find it. So I figured the only way to be sure that I'm not missing a story is I've got to read everything Superman that was published after the Phantom Zone got introduced in Adventure Comics. So that's what I've decided to do. It's going to take me friggin' forever, but I'm going to do it because I want to be thorough. I, I want to I want to know all of those stories. I, I want to watch that concept develop and, and grow and change over the years. And, uh, and so, so it's been fun. I mean, most of it's really a lot of fun. Um, most of them, you know, even the, some of the sillier stories are still fun and everything. The only ones that are really a slog for me are, uh, there was a series and I know they're coming to an end here pretty soon in my read through. So that's, that's given me some encouragement, but there was for a time, there was a, um, Tales of the Bizarro World backup in Adventure Comics that are just goddamn painful. They're so stupid. I mean, just and I mean, I've got a high tolerance for Silver Age stupid, but these are just I mean, they're almost insulting in their stupidity. They're just so stupid. And I, I and I know that there's a market for I mean, I know that some people really dig that stuff. I'm just not one of them, man. I just they're a bridge too far for me. They're just so silly but real quick the i wanted to mention to dan um that one of the reasons that that voice might have sounded so familiar you know he mentioned the the singing voice um at the oh, beginning of that episode well what's a rainy yeah. day well gabby that character gabby um was voiced by pinto colvig now pinto colvig is a very famous voice actor um, he was the original voice of both Pluto and Goofy for Disney um, back in the day. So that might be why uh, why his voice sounded so familiar in those. Because oh, I know I didn't know I did not uh, know that. Yep. All right. Let's we're going we're gonna to get even with you for the Richard Jordan email, which was one sentence with a lengthy <laughs> email. Okay. All right, so this next one is entitled Marvel Classics Comics. I've been looking forward to this one because uh, the the writer here, I'll just go ahead and say it. It is Luke Giaconetti. Uh, he had promised to uh, to chime in on this subject, and here he is. So, pliers of the time stream. He says, just listen to your coverage of Marvel Classic Comics featuring Gulliver's Travels. And boy, did you hit the nail on the proverb, proverbial head with this one. Says the reprint issues of this series are extremely rough sledding, just dry and uninteresting, like Paul mentioned. Dr. Bill had the line of the episode when he said he just didn't care. Here, here, brother. <laughs> Gulliver, at least, has the excuse of really not being an adventure story among the other Pendulum Press reprints is the Three Musketeers, and I have never encountered any adaption of the Three Musketeers in any medium less engaging and more downright boring than that comic. Wow, that's... 
<laughs> that's quite the uh, that's quite the praise. He said, Scott said it best. If you collect the series, get the first 12 for the excellent covers and go from there. Uh, one note of the reprinted issues I own, issue seven, adapting Tom Sawyer is actually pretty good. It helps that the novel itself is very episodic and is more about misadventure than adventure. I would still have preferred a traditional comics version, uh, but it's not but it's not a bad read if you enjoy Twain. Uh, my background with these comics owes a lot to chance. One of the very few comic series my father ever showed any interest in from his childhood was Classics Illustrated, and he does still have a decent collection of them. While looking for Classics Illustrated at Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina some uh, several years ago, I came across Marvel Classics Comics number 18 featuring The Odyssey. The cover is by Ernie Chan and depicts Odysseus and his men fighting the Cyclops Poly, Polyphemus? Uh, whoa. This definitely caught my eye. Not only am I a fan of the Odyssey, but I had no idea at the time that Marvel had ever done a Classics Illustrated style series. I bought the issue and would, uh, would fill in more from eBay and other sources over the years. You can easily imagine my disappointment at getting those reprints, seeing the fantastic dynamic covers, and then reading the actual issues. Well, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> right now, I have about 85% of the series uh, in my collection, missing five issues. Some standouts to me include number 28, uh, adapting the trio of Edgar Allan Poe stories, The uh, Pit and the Pendulum, The Telltale Heart, and The Cask of Amontadillo. Yeah, whatever his name is, the cask guy. <laughs> the aforementioned The Odyssey in number 18. I think I have that one as well. And its predecessor, The Iliad, uh, from number 26. Maybe that's the one I've got. I'm not sure. And White Fang from number 32. I am still working through the series as they, at 50-story pages, are quite meaty and do take a while to finish. One of my comics projects for 2021 is to finish the series as well as finish reading them. Uh, I think he means finish collecting that finish collecting and then finish reading. Yeah. Uh, this has gotten a lot longer than I intended. So I will simply say thanks for talking about Marvel classic comics. Even if the particular issue was a dog, I would uh, totally be down with hearing you all's thoughts on more of this series in the future. Stay classic. And uh, not that it's a use. And that's not a, not that's not a euphemism for old, I promise. Okay. <laughs> Again, that's from Luke Jackney. Uh As I said, I was really looking forward to this feedback because Luke had, had told me that he was going to chime in on this. So thank you for chiming in on that, Luke. And uh, again, I want to extend the invitation to you that, uh, you know, that you come on and join us to talk about more of these. I, I was really pleased to get this feedback, not just from you, but from, you know, several other people on this because I was kind of nervous to pick this one. Um, I really was afraid that, that it would be that people would think it was dull, you know, um, the subject matter. And all. I was like, you know, who's really going to be interested in this stuff. But I, I found that a number of people were very interested. So it's, it has taught me a new, not to fear bringing something different to the show. That's not just, you know, guys in their underwear and flying around beating up each other, you know, that we can, we can branch out and we can do other kinds of comics, uh, just than those. Um, I continue to, uh, to collect these and 
honestly, the only reason that I got sucked into these, and I, I think you hinted at it here about the covers on these, uh, I kept seeing these in the cheap bin. And, uh, you know, some of the covers on them are, are by some of the top talents in comics of the time. You know, you got Gene Cullen, you got Tony DiZaniga, you got, uh, you know, you mentioned Ernie Chan. Uh, there's a lot of other um, talents, both on the covers, uh, Gil Kane. Um, talents on the covers, but then a lot of talents, you know, adapting when more Marvel started doing their own adaptations past issue 12 uh, and not just reprinting somebody else's adaptations. You know, a lot of top name Marvel talent were working on these classic stories. So it was the combination of, you know, the, the covers being really eye catching, the cheap price, of course, because as I said, I kept seeing them in the cheap bins. But then also this desire to not only read comics outside of my my comfort zone, um, you know, both to hopefully grow as a comics uh, fan, but also, you know, to be able to bring this stuff to this show. But also, you know, as I get older, I, I become more and more aware that, you know, I, I'm not going to live long enough to to read all the stories and, and books and everything that I, I really want to and, and that I probably should, you know, to consider myself, you know, any sort of intelligent person. There's a lot of the classics that I've never read. The the books, I'm aware of the stories, but, I, you know, a lot of classics like Gulliver's Travels. I, I just I've never read it. I've never made the time. I probably will never make the time. But I can make the time to read, you know, to read a comic book. So it was an attempt to to give myself a little bit more culture and education on the subject of of the classics um, than I really have time for, you know, with digging out some some musty old books. So I hope that makes some bit of sense. But uh, I've enjoyed collecting them, even though I have not read many of them yet. I, I've got a big old stack of them on my nightstand that I intend to get to because some of them. Uh, you know, some of them, the art's just absolutely gorgeous. There's one um, Dee's Nigo one. I'm trying to remember which one. Maybe it's Robinson Crusoe, I think. There's there's one that's solely illustrated by Dee's Nigo that just looks beautiful that I can't wait to get to. So, uh, But again, Luke, yeah, you know, pick out a favorite or two of, of yours uh, from the collection and let me know, and, uh, and we'll cover it. Hopefully something a little more... Uh, interesting you know with a little more pizzazz to it than than the one that i picked because yeah that one was ugh. it spurred a lot of discussion but it was not a good comic so i have this image go. in my mind of your nightstand and it's kind of like what you'd see in a cartoon where there's this poor little stand and there's a stack of books on it and you see it like trembling underneath it ready to collapse <laughs> yeah like the like the little red riding hood and yes in cartoon yeah yeah exactly so hey, Grandma! <laughs> <laughs> I brought you these comic books to have. <laughs> See? <laughs> so the next, next email is from our buddy Tim Elliott, and it is titled Back to the Swamp, number 451. Hello, gentlemen. Excellent show, even if we didn't get to Paul's book. Maybe it's an excellent show because we didn't get to Paul's book. <laughs> anyway. I wanted to add my two cents, as all the fans tend to do, and comment on Scott's disillusionment at the price of Lobo's first appearance. I have my own white whale with Werewolf by Night number 32, the first appearance of Moon Knight. This is the only issue I lack to complete my run. Why is this issue so high? 
Moon Knight is not that important a character, and this issue is routinely priced around $1,000. Well, that's my gripe for today, keeping this one short and to the point. Cheers, Tim Elliott. Yeah, I, uh, Werewolf by Night is one of the series that I've put on my want list that I've slowly been filling in blanks on it. And I don't ever anticipate owning number 32 just because I would be, uh, you know, when I spend $1,000 for Werewolf by Night number 32, I think that's the day when they uh, caught me off to the, you know, <laughs> with, with, with a straight jacket. Well, I, but, I mean, I have an answer for him. You know, he, he poses the question, why is this issue so high? Um, there's a, I don't know that you'd necessarily call it a new trend, but it, but it is a trend that has reared its head anew in a way that I don't think we've ever quite seen before, which is speculation, um, because of other media. So what's primarily driving this, not solely, but primarily driving this is the MCU. Um, we're seeing something kind of unprecedented where, um, because of the frequency of the Marvel movies, and now we have the Marvel TV shows, that it seems like just about every week that some back issue, many of them obscure back issues, many of them common back issues, like uh, I can't quote you the issue number, but there's a, a West Coast Avengers issue that, you know, a couple of months ago, you could find in any 50 cent bin in the country that's now up on the friggin' wall in any comic shop in the country. If they have a copy uh, with the white vision because of this stuff that's happening in the MCU and to a minor degree, you know, to a lesser degree, I should say with, um, with DC properties, I know star girl uh, things that happened on star girl and some of the uh, characters that appeared on star girl drove back issue prices of those characters appearances up as well because of that kind of stuff. That's what's driving this um, moon Knight went from obscurity uh, in the back issue market to all of a sudden being absolutely on fire when the announcement was made that moon Knight is getting whatever he's getting. What, what is he getting? Is he getting a TV show or a movie? I can't remember, no, I, but I he's, he's think it's a TV show. Yeah. He's coming into the MCU. And when that happened, I, I, I can only confirm this because I jumped on that bandwagon because uh, it, it's just, it's so funny that I had just done the first big call of my collection um, at that time and a couple of things that I called that I wanted to get rid of. And I remember actually holding him in my hand thinking nobody's going to give me shit for these was an almost complete collection of moon Knight and an almost complete collection of, um, she Hulk, the, the John Byrne run of she Hulk at that time, both of those piles of books were 50 cent a piece books at most, you, you could find them in any back issue bin in the country. But the moment that those shows got announced that there was going to be a She-Hulk show and a Moon Knight show, all of a sudden they instantly turned into gold. And I sold both of those, which I would have been happy a week prior to that to take to take 50 cents an issue for them just to get them the hell out of the house. I sold both of those for a serious chunk of change. Um, it's crazy 
how this speculation stuff is is, is driving the market right now for for back issue. It's it's really kind of crazy. Um, it's great if you're a seller, but in our instance where there's things that we're chasing, and you know you you're saying a white you know white whale, yeah, that's what some of these things are turning into is is white whales. I mean, I now have several books that I felt like I was closing in on that now. I, I'm almost resigned to the fact that I'm, I'm never going to own them. Um, probably the big one for me right now is um, Tomb of Dracula number ten. Um, I, I just I should have got the damn thing when when I could have got it. You know, what is considered today would probably be a, a reasonable price of you know fifty to a hundred bucks back before the whole hype exploded. I thought that was crazy. I thought that was absolute. There's no way in hell I'd spend that kind of money today. Yeah, I'd probably spend that money because that's the cheap end. Um, I mean, that book is is, uh, I mean, in in decent condition. It's it's well over a thousand dollars now. That's nuts to me. That's absolutely insane. But that's what's going on with a lot of these things. So yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. I, I really don't just... get it and. I'm just not willing to pay that kind of money for books like that. I mean, I'd love to own a lot of them, but just not willing to, to spend it. No, no, I'm, I'm with you. Well, I mean, if I could give any encouragement to Tim whatsoever, you know, for what it's worth, and I know it probably just sounds like lip service, but I, I mean this, you know, have heart, you know, if, if you're patient and you keep watching, you know, you never know what's going to fall in your lap. Cause I, I don't know if you saw this, but, uh, I was up in Georgia back around Christmas time. Um, I, I hit a lot of uh, like antique stores and things like that that are in the area uh, where my niece lives, where we were staying. And I went to this one um, antique mall and I found a werewolf by night number one for a dollar. Um, it's not mint, but it's not shit either. I mean, it's, uh, I forget what I graded it at. I, I want to say it was like a very fine, I think. I mean, it's a really nice condition book. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that book price is at, but I, I know it's a hell of a lot more than a dollar, especially now. Um, there's hype around that character right now, too. So, oh, shit, that reminds me, Paul. I, I totally forgot to tell you. Um, I was on Facebook last night. And I, maybe you know this already, but it came as a shock to me. I was on Facebook last night, and um, uh, David Anthony Kraft, I, I don't know if he let the cat out of the bag or if this is common knowledge, but I'd never heard of it before. But apparently uh, they're working on a uh, man-wolf movie. Oh, yeah, Did you, you hear this? You, 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 oh, I only heard it from you. You messaged me uh, about it, which is fascinating to me, but we'll, we'll see what we get. <laughs> You yeah, know, I, just it's, you know, course, they're, they're, yeah. maybe it might be that they're talking about it, and you know, in development doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of how I took it, and I take all those kind of things with a with a grain of salt. But you know, those rumors have been swirling for years now that uh, that Sony wants to build basically a Spider Verse, and you know they they've already done the venom movie supposedly we're going to be getting a morbius movie but according to david anthony craft um they they are developing a man wolf movie well and if they if they come out with it i have the t-shirt to wear to the opening yeah right 
But I, I was very excited. And I'm excited for him because hopefully he would get some sort of financial kickback to that whole thing because, you know, he was heavily involved with all that. I'm not I don't think he's considered a co-creator, is he or is he? I'm not I'm not sure. But I know he worked on a lot of Man Wolf. Well, Man Wolf first um, appeared so. in Spider-Man 124, 125. Uh, right. So I'm pretty sure that was Jerry Conway. Yeah. So I, I think Kraft is just involved in the sense of he, he wrote a number of the characters' adventures, but I, I don't know if, if he has any sort of creator credit, you know, beyond that. But Well, I mean, still, create, I mean creator, creator credit at this point seems to be, uh, you know, that at the end they put a special thanks to the people. I think that's all it comes down to. Yeah. And if they were going to do a Man-Wolf one, then I think certainly uh, Mr. Kraft should be in that group. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. You know, this this isn't yeah, the I, I arguing thought... that you're entitled to money because you created this and they created that. This is just, you know, an acknowledgement, really, is what it comes down to. Right. Well, hopefully. All right, let's see here. we got a couple more. Uh, we, we still got time for these? Yeah, let's, let's, let's empty the mailbag for today. All right. So our next one here is entitled uh, Secret Defenders Number 9. Good morning, back to the bins. I just caught your recent Swamp Thing and Secret Defenders episode. I've never been into Swamp Thing comics. I love the USA show and remember a glow-in-the-dark action figure my brother and I always fought over. I remember that action figure, too. Uh, Secret Defenders is a series I started uh, to recently pick up due to 90s nostalgia. I just got number nine on a trip to Georgia last November. I remember seeing the cover and getting excited for the Thunderstrike, War Machine, and Surfer team-up. You know, I love the story and I'm dying to find number 10 in a back uh, in a back bin one day. The art wasn't half bad, in my opinion. I'm a Mignola fan, and while this wasn't Mignola, I was happy with the rendering. It seemed like a 90s extreme rendering of Mignola. I can see why it's distracting and did muddy Mars's story, but I don't think War Machine and Thunderstrike uh, had much... Uh, had much team up, so I'll take. I, I think what he means is that they didn't they didn't team up very often. Uh, so I'll take it, and that is from Socrates. Socrates in Tennessee. Best regards, Socrates S. Alvarez the third. So, well, so apparently he I, didn't mind the art. That yeah, I don't much. find that I disagree with Socrates often, but in this case I do. I thought the artwork was <laughs> atrocious in this book. I, I I don't remember exactly what I said that that episode, but I guarantee you it was not favorable in the art. Well, something that uh, I, I don't have a specific book in mind at the moment, but something that is in my mental cue for the show is to uh, do another episode um, taking another look at that artist whose name is escaping me at the moment. Grindberg, Tom Grindberg. Uh, taking a look at another book illustrated by him that I think we would be more favorable of, just to yeah, kind of give the other side's point. Bill, Bill had brought up, I think, the uh, other book. And, yeah, I'd be happy to do it. And I'm sure I will think more of it than I did of this one. So the last email in our uh, bag for today is from Jack Bond, and it is titled Back to the Burn. Oh yeah, I love this pair of annuals. Since I got the DVD-ROMs of the Avengers and Fantastic Four, 
I've offloaded a stack of essentials and a lot of my floppies, but I kept these two. I'm glad to hear the Avengers Annual came out first. That's the way I encountered them, and I always felt guilty that I liked it better than Burns home book, The FF. I had attributed that to reading it first. Rereading it, I still like it more. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just beguiled by biplane starfighters from a carrier shaped like a zeppelin. I credited <laughs> everything I claim to know about inking to a comparison of these pages. The only thing I know about coloring is that if the panel only shows a character's hands, the colorist should make doubly sure the gloves are the proper color for that character's costume. The writing is what I'm confident about. Pages of guest characters that don't feel like they're pushing the stars of the book aside, then in the other book, sorry, excuse me, the same pages feel the same way. The seed of these books may have been planted in the co in the coordination for the Avengers issue Burn Drew, a non-crossover where they fought an invisible barrier while Annihilus was invading the Baxter building. But I think the spiritual seed can be seen back in Burn's story. On some forum, a guy was saying how Thor should be written with more awe than just than more awe than just as a, the team brick. He brought up the time Manhattan Island was lifted into the sky, the ocean was going to rush in and floods the and flood the traffic tunnels. Thor drops into the crater and holds back the wall of water. Iron Man starts pulling cars to safety, and inside his armor, he can't repress a shudder at being in the presence of a god. The forum guy couldn't place it, and it it didn't feel like the gra, gra, excuse me it didn't feel like the graviton story arc. I just had to say, B. Hmm. I don't I remember don't... that particular uh, story, but it sounds I. I Definitely agree with the, the sentiment that, you know, presenting Thor as as awe striking is is a way to go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it always strikes me when I read older Avengers stories where Thor is just another Joe on the team and and doesn't seem particularly impressive or or powerful or awe inspiring. Yeah, it, it always strikes me as really odd when that happens. Yeah, it, it when. When he's presented as just another Joe on the team, it strikes me that the writer either didn't realize what he was working with or just didn't have the time to show it correctly. Right. Because uh, yeah. it's, it's, he, he shouldn't, you know, it's the same way Superman has to be shown in, in the Justice League. You can't have him next to yeah. Green Arrow and have them be equals. Right. Right. Yeah, Thor. Yeah, he Thor. You know, that, that's a great comparison because you know Superman definitely presents challenges to anybody writing like Justice League, but Thor presents challenges too. And I, I think Thor theoretically could present even more challenges because, for one, you want him to be awesome but not overpower everybody. But also the other trope with Thor that I see often get used in Avengers stories that annoys me just as much as when he's like the, the hair trigger guy, like, like the least little thing can set him into a rage or set him off. And I, I don't like that either. Cause I don't think of Thor as 
he can be a little hot-headed, yes, but I don't see him as, um, you know, constantly, you know, like uh, about to rush off uh, foolishly type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, He's no, smarter totally than that. Agree. I don't like him being portrayed as just, you know, the big dumb guy that just is always itching for a fight kind of thing, you know? And I, I've yeah. definitely seen him that way a number of times, too. Yeah, I agree. All right, so... Looking in our mailbag, we have nothing left. And it's about, well, I time. Want to thank... it's about time we got to this. Yes. Well, I want to thank everybody that wrote in uh, some really, really good emails here. And uh, it was especially nice to hear from some folks that uh, we both haven't heard from in a while. And also some folks that uh, I think we had some new names here. So that I like that. And uh, I want to encourage you folks to... You know, continue to give us your feedback. Continue to write into the show. Continue to uh, you know give us feedback on our uh, on our Facebook page. Continue to let us know you know how you like the show, how you dislike you know elements of the show. If you do, uh, you know what you think of you know particular uh, episodes. If there's uh, subjects that you want us to cover, or would you like to hear more from us? If there's subjects that we cover, maybe too much for your liking, that sort of thing. So feedback, feedback, feedback. We always need it. It's how we grow as uh, as humans and as podcasters. So you know we encourage it, and we want to hear more from you. And uh, I really want to put the plea out again to you know those folks that we've never heard from. You know, if you're listening to us, if you've been listening for years, or if you've only been listening for you know a short time, uh, one way or the other, but we've never heard from you. If you're just you know one of that silent majority, um, you know, let us hear from you. That's not, to, that's not to say we don't want to hear from our old friends also. We do. We, we're happy right. to hear from old friends as well. And uh, as far as the negatives that Scott was mentioning, I mean, obviously we hope there's as few negatives as possible. But where they do exist, we do want to know about them. And we will not ignore negative emails. The only thing I ask is that you just present it in a respectful way. And if you do, I'm happy to hear your constructive criticism. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you, everybody, as well, from me for your writing in. And uh, I guess that'll do it. Next time around, we will cover the two books that we were going to cover today. Either next okay. time or the time after that or the time after that or the time after that. Eventually, we'll get to them. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. It's late. It's late. I'm old and tired. You too, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Take care. You too.